This is the podcast by the Straits Times. And it's down for a time, our regular segment here called the Sports uh, Show Game of Two Halves, where I host the sports uh, podcasters from the Straits Times. Well, I'm Bernard Lim, and with these uh, sports correspondents, Sazali Abduaziz, and we also have uh, James uh, Walton together with uh, uh, James, of course, is the uh, sports business group leader uh, from Deloitte Service Asia and the uh, Straits Times assistant sports editor Rohit Bridgenath, calling in all the way from uh, Melbourne to share the latest in sports. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bernard. Hi, Bernard. Okay, nice to see you. Love to hear all of you here as well. Okay, we'll, we'll start with the English Premier League and it seems like that with every passing week, uh, Liverpool's advantage at the top grows. I mean, their 4-0 win over Southampton on Saturday, uh, followed by Manchester City's uh, 2-0 defeat at uh, Tottenham Hotspur uh, earlier this morning, uh, means that they now have 22-point lead. It really is quite incredible. Uh, how they've gone on uh, this season so far, uh, uh, have, haven't they? Sazali, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, they, they've been, you know, obviously all uh, really impressive all season. Season. And I think um, Southampton manager uh, Hansel Hutel sort of um, encapsulated this. But you know, he said they don't un- underestimate any opponent. You know, and, and I think that's so impressive. That's so easy to do, especially when the, the the lead you have starts building up. And you know, now they have a really comfortable cushion. Uh, and yet, you know, they never let up. You know, four nil um, against Southampton, a, a resurgent Southampton team who has been sort of giving some other teams some problems in recent weeks. So yeah, and they just brushed them aside. And now, you know, obviously twenty two points clear. You look at the table and honestly, it's it's a bit ridiculous. You know, there's 24 wins, one draw and no losses. You know, across any sport, you look at boxing to have that record, that would be fantastic. You know, to any sport, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, moving on from Liverpool, of course, we know that they are they are really clear uh, leaders right now in the league. Uh, moving on to an interesting match last night was the Spurs taking on uh, Manchester City. Well, the Spurs win must have been sweet for, for you, James. I mean, wasn't it? I mean, being a, a lifelong fan and, and the new signing, uh, Stephen uh, Bergwin scoring the first goal as well. What, what, how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, honestly, this day, these days you don't know which Spurs team is gonna is gonna show up. It, it, it was definitely not a vintage performance. A few people have said it was a Mourinho masterclass, but there was a lot of luck. You know, a post was hit a few times, a saved penalty, and Spurs scoring from their first two shots on target. But it, at least it's some points on the board. It's some momentum for for Steven Bergwin. It, it's great to get that goal in early. But I think that the most promising thing for Spurs fans at the moment. Yes, they didn't manage to get a striker in in the window, but if you look at the last few signings they've made, Sessegnon, Dombele, Lo Celso, Bernwein and, and Fernandes, these are all young players with with an upside. So I think there's a feeling that the team is starting to, to rebuild and hopefully move in the right direction. Well, Bergwin with the, the £27 million pounds, uh, price tag is one of the uh, priciest signings of the of the window. Uh, uh, which clubs uh, do you think, James, uh, are the, were the winners and the losers in this particular transfer window? It's hard to call any winner at the moment. I think you've got to say Liverpool are a winner because they didn't have to do anything, and yet they still did. Sheffield United is interesting because they're they're really up there challenging possibly for a Champions League place, and and they brought in some some relatively unknown but look to be solid players. Spurs had a good window, but as I say, didn't get that striker. On the loser side, definitely Chelsea. Mm. Um, their transfer ban was listed, and we thought they were going to go out and get get players. They didn't spend a penny. West Ham. They did some things, Jared Bowen, Susek, but you don't know if it's enough, and, and definitely Roy Hodgson at Palace. 
uh, will not be too happy having really failed to get in any of his targets. Yeah, I, I have to agree with uh, James here. I think Sheffield United really impressed with obviously how they perform all season. Um, and Sander Birch, you know, to, 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 to break the club record to sign him shows intent, you know, shows what they want to do and, and the fact that they want to stay in the Premier League and they want to achieve things in the Premier League. And also, also agree with the losers, you know, Chelsea, you know, um, They've won only four Premier League games in the last 13. That's really, really poor form. And and with the teams behind them, Sheffield United, even Manchester United, you know, mm-hmm. sort of um, showing intent by bringing Bruno Fernandes in. I think they, they, they obviously haven't done it. They have done nothing in the transfer window. So not good enough for Chelsea. And I think I think they might they might drop out of that top four, actually. I mean, people are really chasing them. I mean, Spurs is now fifth. Yep. And obviously, yep. uh, Manchester United is somewhere there as well. Well, what we've noticed uh, that is interesting uh, is that this Despite the competitive state of the chasing pack behind Liverpool and the well-documented deficiencies in some of the bigger clubs or squads, as we mentioned, uh, Winter Window was almost a carbon copy of last year's. I mean, very cautious. I mean, do, do you think so? Do you agree, James? And, and why? So I think there's a couple of things. We said this time last year that the, that the potential economic slowdown around the world, which obviously starts to think about whether you're going to get your recurring advertising deals and sponsorships and, and broadcasting rights, was a factor, but also Brexit, because it's still unknown at this point in time what will be the impact in terms of foreign players in the Premier League. Will there be quotas? Will there be issues? And will you have to suddenly sell off foreign players just just to meet those quotas? So so that was the case a year ago, and and a year later, and, and ironically, the UK actually exited the EU at the exact moment that the transfer window shut on Friday night, and yet we are still no closer to knowing. But I, I think there's also just a fundamental fact behind all of this that most managers will tell you, which is that there simply isn't value to be had in January, that the players that would actually really help you um, and help improve your squad are simply not available because teams don't want to sell them because they can't replace them themselves. So most of the players that get bought end up being stopgap measures, injury, uh, injury cover, and it's very rare that you see the kind of uh, transfers we had two years ago, which was, of course, the window of of Virgil van Dijk, um, where we had those really big deals that that were game changers that would have not looked out of place in the summer. Mm -hmm. And building on what uh, Suzali mentioned a while ago about uh, Chelsea not making any uh, big sightings in the Jan uh, transfer window, do you agree? And and why do you think it's so? So, um, Chelsea, yeah, I mean... It, it, it is very, very curious. Manchester United also, you know, a lot of the big teams, Manchester City did absolutely nothing, which is almost like they've given up on, I think they have. on the Premier League, James. <laughs> but, but, but also they, they still have centre-back issues, so are they giving up on the Champions League as well? Arsenal only bringing in loan signings, but there's a feeling they spent most of their money last summer. Uh, to me, the Man United one, what's fascinating here is that you sold off Lukaku and, and said that he wasn't a fit, and yet here you are bringing in Odio Negalo. Um, a year later. So there's clearly some disconnect in what a lot of these teams are doing. And I honestly feel right now that some of these big teams, and I'm looking at here at Man United, Chelsea, and to some extent, extent Tottenham and Arsenal, don't really seem to have a particularly coherent strategy about what they're trying to do and how they're going about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you like the Straits Times uh, spot on and also the game of two halves, you can listen to us live on uh, Monday, uh, Monday, Money FM 89.3 uh, right here. Or you can subscribe to the game of two halves on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. And now moving to the second half of our conversation with our ST Sports uh, podcasters, where we talk about the Australian Open, which 
which uh, wrapped up over the weekend. And joining us is uh, Straits Times Assistant Sports Editor uh, Rohit uh, Bridgenath, uh, all the way calling us uh, from uh, from Melbourne. But Rohit, uh, you, you watch as uh, Novak Djokovic survived a determined effort by uh, Dominic Thiem yesterday to win this uh, his eighth Aussie Open title. Uh, what impressed you most about the Serbs uh, come from behind uh, Trime, uh, uh, Rohit? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, Novak Djokovic is a very interesting athlete. I think uh, he's not just great, he's interesting. I think one of the things they say in individual sport is that I think great athletes know how to make themselves comfortable when they're uncomfortable. And what that really means is you're going to have times of great stress in some matches. It could be, you know, physical distress. It could be mentally you're under pressure because the other guy's playing really well and things are not going well. But somehow or the other, you still manage to lift your game. Because you have such mastery over yourself that you can find your best game even when you're uncomfortable and you don't you, you don't get rattled. And I think that's what Djokovic did. I think one Dominic team played very well because he's a very good player who's finding himself. The second thing which is really strange is I think physically there was a letdown for Djokovic, which is very strange because he's a very, very particular kind of guy. And later he revealed that he was dehydrated and which is odd. And uh, because you think, you know, you drink a very specific amount of liquid, you know, how hot it is. But these things happen. And I think, of course, he he managed to survive. I think uh, his body recovered. And then, I think it's just amazing. His level just lifts, you know. He, he starts, again, you know, putting the ball exactly where he wants to put it. He's such a brilliant technician. And sometimes I think the crowd doesn't give him the love that uh, they give, you know, uh, Federer, the artist, and Nadal, the warrior, because some of the other maybe they... There's something about uh, Djokovic that they don't sort of naturally love because he's a technician, which I think is a bit unfair because he's a brilliant player. And it was really remarkable to watch yesterday. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned uh, theme uh, briefly, Rohit, uh, a third Grand Slam final in uh, as many years for the 26-year-old Austrian, but still no silverware to, to show for. What do you make of, of his uh, showing, Dominic? Well, I think there are a couple of things. One is, I think sometimes, you know, as happened with Ivan Lendl and hand with, uh, happened with Mandy Murray, sometimes you've got to wait a long time. You have to pay your dues before you win a Grand Slam title. So you, you know, can go four or five finals before you get there. I think this young man, I mean, he's not as young as, say, somebody like Zverev, who's 22, team is 26. But he, you can make out he's just getting better and better. And, uh, I mean, the power with which he hits is astonishing. And he's brave. I think one of the things is if you want to win a Grand Slam title, you have to be brave. But as he said himself, you know, he's playing in an extraordinary generation. I don't think there's ever been a time in tennis. It's very rare. It happens in any sport where you have possibly the three greatest among the three greatest players ever in the same generation so he beat Nadal in an extraordinarily intense match and then as he said you know to win one of these titles you've got to beat two of these guys and I think Djokovic was just a little bit too far for him yeah, and, I, and I think you know like like what you mentioned Rohit you know Djokovic you're playing in an era where there's Djokovic uh, Nadal and, and, and Federer it, it makes you they've been at the top for so long that it makes you forget how tough it is to actually get to a Grand Slam final let alone win it you know it Back in the day, you know, uh, a, a Grand Slam or two would make you among one of the top players. And, and, you know, these guys have won multiple Grand Slams over multiple years and, and you sort of forget how difficult it is, isn't it? It's incredibly difficult. I think people forget one of the things is, I think when Djokovic won yesterday, it's uh, the 13th Slam in a row which has been won by the Big Three and there was a period before when they won 18 Slams in a row. So you can't, you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. incredibly diff- difficult. The Big you know? Three, the old and, Three. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. So, yeah. And so I, I, you know, they have different styles, and uh, but they're getting closer. I mean, in the U.S. Open finals, Daniel Medvedev took Nadal to five, and in here he's taken Djokovic to five. So. I mean, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty nice to see this intergenerational battle. I quite like it. Right. Okay, Rohit. Uh, lastly, you, you, you watch a lot of uh, tennis in Melbourne live some more. Uh, there have been some cracking matches, I, I can imagine. Which are which your, your favourites uh, and which do you feel was the best one? Well, I think definitely the one that got everybody excited the most was uh, Federer against Teddy Sandgren. And uh, basically, tennis Sandgren is number 100 in the world and he had seven match points against Federer and it was... I think it's very difficult to explain to people unless you are on a court the sort of love that fans have for Federer. I mean, it is, it's like, you know, the, I think I wrote there, like his personal choir, you know, there's worship involved there, you know. And uh, I think Federer hadn't played a tournament before he came to the Australian Open, so he was a bit rusty and uh, found himself in physical distress as well, had to have a medical timeout. And saving seven match points, I mean, even Federer admitted uh, that he was lucky, but it was it was what you want in tennis. It was an incredibly dramatic match, you know, with all sorts of things happening. And, uh, of course, uh, Federer won, and that's all the crowd wants is for Federer to win. <laughs> well, for me, I, I one match that uh, caught my attention, I mean, obviously I'm here in Singapore, but one match that caught my attention was uh, the fourth round uh, game between uh, Nick Kyrgios and, and uh, Rafa Nadal, because mm. I don't know. Rohit will, I think, disagree with me. I, I think he takes a bit of a dim view to to Kyrgios, but um, you know, he's he's clearly a very talented player, and and you know, he's he's obviously a huge character as well. And and more often than not, you know, when it comes to crunch time, you know, his character comes out and not his talent. Uh, but we saw a lot of his talent against mm. Nadal, and and you know, even Nadal said, you know, he pushed him, you know, right to his best and and to his limit. And and he's Nadal said, you know, he hopes uh, Kyrgios shows this side of his his game. A lot more often than his character, and and uh, yeah, maybe this could be the turning point for Nick Kyrgios, you know, and mm. he could prove uh, yeah, his mean, doubters I, wrong. I I wouldn't disagree with you. I think everybody gets a little frustrated with Kyrgios because he clearly has some level of talent. Talent is not just hitting a ball. There are many types of talent. Concentration is a talent. Persistence mm. is a talent, mm-hmm. and attitude is a talent. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things. I mean, you look at Nadal. Nadal probably doesn't hit the ball anywhere like Federer does, but, you know, his persistence is what has taken him, you know, the, to, to, uh, to amazing heights, I mean, to 19 Grand Slam titles. Mm-hmm. So I think Kyrgios played well, mm-hmm. right? And I think he, he was more focused at this Grand Slam than I have ever seen him focus. But the thing is, you've got to do it every single day on tour, every day, every day, every day. And that's, yep. what, that's what Nadal does, you know. He, he brings 100% not to every day, but to every point. And mm-hmm. that is a type of ferocity that Kyrgios, if he brings that, I think he can win a slam. If he doesn't do that, he can't. It's uh, quite simple. Okay. Well, there goes the final whistle for our sports discussion of the week. We really hope you enjoyed listening to us. Glad to have all of you here uh, in the studio. With us, Azali is here. And of course, uh, Rohit, all the way from Melbourne. And James as well, uh, somewhere here in Singapore. Thank you so much, uh, gentlemen. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.